0: The conservative conscience, and yes, this is Daniel Horowitz. Welcome back to the conservative conscience on this last day in November, November thirtieth, Thursday afternoon. Thank God this week is almost over. I'm just so ticked off, Um, more more so than usual. I know that might sound (laughs) interesting, but yeah, you know, it's funny. I was just listening back to the intro music to our podcast here, common sense, and avoiding groupthink. You know, we have really grown as an audience. We've almost doubled over this past year, and I know we have a lot of new listeners, and I think it's just worth delving into what we do here. Normally, I try to discuss the issues and not discuss myself or what we're trying to do. I'll go ahead and, you know, actually do it (laughs) rather than talk about doing it. But I think it's very apropos to what I want to talk about today, just delving through some of the issues that have happened this week. And the funny thing is, the issues you're going to hear from me, ironically, aren't the issues that you're going to hear, not just in the general news world, but even in the political news world. Um, It's all about, you know, all sex all the time. And I'm not saying there's nothing to learn about the cultural problems um, with everything going on. Of course, the lessons that the media will not derive from it, but even just the focus on what is important, what is an emergency? on a fiscal, economic, national security, foreign policy, immigration, system of government level that we try to address here and what it is we try to do. And that's why the title today is going to be How Common Sense and the Forgotten Man are Dead to Our Political System. When I say our political system, I certainly mean our elected officials, but the media, even the conservative media, which is – As I've critiqued pretty often, just a reflection, a rear end of the liberal media. Wherever the liberal media takes them, they go. So they might argue about the way the liberal media reports on a given issue, but they'll follow them to that issue, all the while ignoring the most important issues around. And before we get to those issues, I want to discuss why these issues are forgotten, In order to discuss why these issues are forgotten, I think we first need to understand why the issues that are focused upon have so successfully changed the minds of otherwise common sense, normal people to believe in the most absurd things. To me, a big part of the culprit is modern technology. And I don't want to sound like an old fashioned, you know, crazy here but i always say to myself if i had a way of going back in a time machine and making making it that certain things would have never been invented maybe not full email and internet but but certainly the connectivity on iPhones and everything i think although there's a lot of good that has come out of it i think on net particularly as it relates to politics and culture it's it's just been a boon, it's it's been horrible for our culture you know it used to be The news cycle, go back to the 90s. You know, most of our audience is old enough certainly to remember the 90s. Most of you are older than me, but I remember in the 90s, each day was probably one one hundredth of a day now. Each, you know, a, a day now is like a week or a month of a news cycle from the 90s. A month now is like a year of what a news cycle used to be. There's just so much. You're just inundated, inundated. But yet, while we know so much more than we used to, we know so much less. Because it's a mile wide and and a centimeter deep. There's no depth. And it's not really wide either. It's not broad. It has encouraged people you know, because the left and their media apparatus—they're so ubiquitous, they're so incessant, they're so indefatigable—they'll just throw things at you, and th- there, there's just no time for people to think, for people to relax and think properly, process information, go through the, you know, basic methods of interpreting data and analyzing data, juxtaposing, looking at trends and long-term observations. Instead, people just chomp on whatever they're thrown at by the media. And it's all a distraction, what they do throw is absurd, but people don't realize it's absurd. The biggest question I have and I know I talk about this a lot, but simply because in my mind it's it's perhaps the most absurd thing around, and that's castration. We literally have a situation where there is a fad of people that castrate themselves, mutilate themselves in the most grotesque manner you could imagine. Forget about values. For today's show, we're not even talking about traditional American values, godly values, constitutional values. I'm talking about pure common sense, how common sense is forgotten and the forgotten man is forgotten. Um, and we, we focus on stupid issues, stupid policies, because what they're able to do is just throw at you. Uh, mellifluous-sounding acronym: transgenderers, LGBTQQQT, T. And, and just they—they they get it everywhere, and then otherwise normal-thinking people start spitting it back, and then they start believing it, and they never bother to think. Well, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. You're—you're you're telling me you're—you're you're castrating yourself, and you're codifying that as a legitimate. Lifestyle, much less legal distinction, that now we have to change our society. And now you have courts saying that you have to have them in the military when it's just insane and suicidal. And then you have to pay for the mutilation operations with taxpayer. What? How does that happen for a second? How is there no outrage? Because we become numb. And that's the goal of this show, the goal of my writings, as you know to keep honing in on a thesis. I know my articles, I apologize, sometimes they're a little long, I wish I'd make them shorter, but sometimes I I, I need to entertain and just deconstruct all this nonsense, and it takes a while to do it. And, and we have a lot on the docket this week. I'm gonna try to post them in show notes, in case you missed it, just a lot of important articles, and just issues, whether it's, you know, what, we're funding terrorism overseas, we're, we're kissing up to the Muslim Brotherhood, and Hamas, and the PLO, We're ignoring the MS-13 gangs that we talked about last time. Uh, We we have $2,500 premiums as a result of Obamacare, and no one's talking about it. It's not even a story. They're all talking about the people getting freebies, worrying that they're not going to get the freebies when they're going to get freebies under anyone's bill. We become so desensitized because it's whatever the media puts out in front of us we eat up and what they don't put out that is earth shattering, we ignore, and that's how we become numb. We become there's no there's no jolting of so so my job that here is a I want to speak for the forgotten man, but b also speak to the inherent common sense in most people, and the way to do that is to just proverbially speaking grab people by the shirt collar and just I want to be that guy that turns up the heat. On the boiling on on the boiling water and the frog, you know the famous analogy. I, I forget who who it should be attributed to. Uh, correct me if um, for I know Milton Friedman. I think said it, but who knows if he was the first. Everyone says this, but the whole idea of um, just the ability of an animal or a human being to adapt, particularly a human being to become acculturated, acclimated, adapt to your surroundings. That something that would have been so absurd to you just five. Years ago, one year ago, even if you don't like it now, you kind of accept it. It's become normal, and you don't think how absurd, much less immoral, but just how it defies any modicum of common sense and, and safety and just how, how have we accepted this? And and again, the answer is because we're numbed. It's just nonstop. So because a news cycle now in a day is like a month. A month is like a year. A year is like a decade. So it's as if you had a decade-long exposure to something, and it becomes normal. It becomes normal to all of us. Like like the frog in the boiling water, you, you jump in the hot water, it will jump out, but you put it in lukewarm water, and you slowly turn up the heat, it, it will never jump out. It will become acclimated to it. It's another analogy I once heard... Um, once read from, from a, an Israeli author, they're talking about a, a, a guy who walked down the street one time and saw an Arab eating his lunch in a, in, a, in a sewer. And he couldn't imagine it because you couldn't even stand within 20 feet of that manhole without dying. And yet this guy is able to sit there and eat lunch in it. And, and, and that's kind of what I'm like, you know, going to this political system, I'm like, hey, everyone else in the conservative movement here, I mean, what are you doing? how do you How do you tolerate this for even a minute? This is nuts. But we become acclimated to it. You know, towards the beginning of Exodus, when God came to Moses the first time to tell him to warn warn Pharaoh that the time has come, let my people go. And Pharaoh retaliated by implementing even harsher decrees upon the Israelites there. And you know, he made them build bricks in and, and, and swampland, and now he said, I'm going to put a new decree upon them and not even give them the raw materials to make the bricks. Now you have to go and create – you have to go and find the straw and the materials to even make the bricks to then even begin the backbreaking work of building in a swampland. Now, what was the point just, you know, putting just, you know, more work on them? It was already pretty bad. But the difference is this see, there's a difference between being distracted, being taxed and overworked, and then being so overwhelmed to the point where you've lost your humanity. You literally cannot think or function anymore. And he wanted to prevent rebellion. And the best way to prevent rebellion is. You ensure that there is not a second to function, and that's kind of like what we're all about now. We just can't function. Everything's so quick, and and they just we we, we just watch the puppet show. LGBT, B-T-T-T, You know, literally, if I if I were like you know say cut your balls off, um, castrate yourself. So you know it kind of jolts you. But if I give it some nice sounding acronym, and you say it enough, we all become. And, and even conservatives start using the, the parlance. But the same way the media molds us by just flooding us with misinformation, what's perhaps just as bad and maybe even worse is the complete obfuscation of what is important. And I know I took 12 minutes to get here, but let's go down the list of certain things going on. You know, we are supporting, we are probably the the world's largest sponsor of terrorism. I know that sounds very harsh, but we are literally funding the PLO under current law. And no one's talking about this under current law, 1987 law. I have a whole article on this, so I'm not going to go through it all, put it in show notes. But the PLO is a terrorist group, not a peace partner. They are a terrorist group. They're designated as a terrorist group. We're not allowed to have relations to them, much less give them $500 million a year in aid. And they're not allowed to have an office on our soil. Yet they have an office that Obama upgraded to almost a full diplomatic level, almost like an embassy. So the State Department promised to finally follow the law. And then this week it was announced, nope, they're keeping it open. Where's the outrage? Trump announces, after getting off of a call with Erdogan, the chief Islamo-Nazi of, uh, the, pretty much the chief Sunni Islamist, the head of the Muslim Brotherhood, de facto national, international head, um, he, he is, you know, Turkey, Qatar, and Iran are the axis of evil. So basically Erdogan told him on a phone call hey, you better uh, stop funding the Syrian Kurds. And Trump gets off the call and says, we're going to stop, quote, this nonsense of funding the Syrian Kurds. So let me let me get this straight. We're funding that the, the Afghani Islamists, getting our troops killed for who knows what, spending $4 trillion in the Middle East, funding the Iranian proxies in Iraq, but we're going to cut off arms to the Kurds. Again, no one's giving voice to this. And... What are we doing in Afghanistan? So does anyone want to find that out? What are we doing in Afghanistan? Who is speaking for that soldier that's placed in an untenable mission where you're being led by some sort of Afghani soldier when when he's not busy molesting a 12-year-old boy, which by the way that goes on a lot there. Um and the guy, you know, leads him into an ambush. General John Nicholson, the current U.S. commander in Afghanistan, this week, he told reporters, quote, we are on our way to a win. Dude, I mean, I, I, I cannot. This is unbelievable. This is just unbelievable. Um, there's an individual Paul Soldra, I just want to quote his from his Twitter feed. Um, I don't even know who he is. Um, he has some sort of a blog, I don't want to belittle it. I'm just, I just forget what it is. I think he might write for Business Insider sometimes. Um, but in in his Twitter feed, he, um, he, he had some amazing quotes and he goes back all the way, all the way. Um, 2016, Nicholson, I would say overall our mission in Afghanistan is on a positive trajectory. Campbell, who was the previous uh, commander, 2014, uh, December 28th, the road before us remains challenging, but we will triumph. Dunford, who by the way is the joint Chiefs, head of Joint Chiefs of Staff, um, the, uh, June 2013, we have made significant progress, but we are not at, at this point where it's completely sustainable. Ger- General Allen, a couple months prior, February 2013. I think we're on the road to winning. He goes back to Petraeus, Abizade, Franks. I mean, great, great piece of journalism there, by the way, Um, this Paul Soldier. But I was just thinking, I was just thinking here, what the heck? What are we doing there? Does no one want to give voice to that? You know, we have so many budget problems, we have so much dependency in this country. You see, you know, and we're having this problem with the tax debate because. People at the bottom don't, you know, they barely pay any taxes. So anytime you want to give a tax cut, oh, they're not getting a tax cut. Well, they're they're getting they're getting a little tax cut because they, if you pay ten dollars and you get a five dollar tax cut, I mean, it's a big tax cut. But you know, you have Obamacare. Oh no no no, they must get it for free so everyone else could pay twenty five hundred a month. We have major issues, a major dependency, but there's no reason we need to be funding Afghanistan. Here's the truth. Let me read to you from the inspector general's report. The Afghan government's district and population control deteriorated, deteriorated to its lowest level. Um, As of August, 2017, there were 54 districts under insurgent control, 13, um, uh, influence or 41 with whatever, but 54 districts under insurgent control. um, there's a 52% increase in civilian casualties from pro-government air operations. American combat casualties are on the rise, a sharp increase in insider attacks. Um, insider attacks, by the way, that's the green on blue that comes from the Afghani, you know, military. Um you know, it's just it's just insane. There's nothing we're doing there that makes sense, but no one wants to talk about it. No one wants to talk about it. Because it's all about the status quo, and, and you know, let me let me offer this provocative point. You know, I've been pro-military my whole life, and of course, I'm pro-military, meaning I'm for the institution, I'm for the people that sign up to do the right thing, and the people that are risking their lives. I've always wanted, you know, more military spending, more military spending, but you know, what's often happened over the years. The military spending is kind of the hostage that the left uses to grow government. They know we want the military spending. That's how they get you know, their non-defense discretionary spending. And I was thinking, you know, at what point should we just shoot the hostage? Why do we need a military this size and to spend this much money? If all we're going to do is literally use our stuff on escapades that have nothing to do with us or downright help Iran, Qatar, and Turkey, because right now we're fighting for Iran and Turkey in Syria and, and Iraq. We're doing God knows what in these other theaters. And then all the military is is one big petri dish with women in combat. women this get women pregnant with the then you have the sexual harassment problems and they get pregnant and then you have therapeutic abortions in the words of the undersecretary that of health affairs that Trump just nominated. Then you have the transgenderism now, the castration. What's the, what's the point? And they're not doing anything about North Korea, which which is the one threat that wants to annihilate us and actually can annihilate us. You know, as opposed to a couple of guys dancing around in some desert Niger or Somalia, you know, with an AK-47, you know, saying death to America. In some desert, you know, here they actually have that capability and then we expended 4 trillion dollars and and who knows how many lives pissing around the Middle East. And then now, yeah, now now we have Nothing to show for it. Just unbelievable. Unbelievable. No common sense whatsoever. (sighs) I mean, the courts, the courts saying that you have to use taxpayer funds to castrate someone literally and then follow up with subsequent operations to mutilate them with injections and who knows what else. Do they put on breasts? I don't know. In the military? I ask you, is there anything the courts could do that will jump us, you know, prompt us to jump out of this boiling water of judicial tyranny? Is there anything? I I, I asked some of my friends that are on the right that are into judicial supremacy. If a court said your private parts are unconstitutional, would you quote strike them down? Is there no limit? We have a sanctuary city problem. You know, I, 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 watch, I watch the parlance being thrown around, whether it's among the politicians, even those on the right, whether it's the military, um, whether it's the media. And we talk about end-of-year legislation. And they say, will there be a DACA fix, a DACA fix or no DACA fix? Maybe there'll be a DACA fix later, maybe not in the budget bill. And I'm thinking, what about a sanctuary city fix? What about an asylum fix? What about a fix of turning America into a dumping ground for the third world? What about a terrorism visa fix? Still, to this day, nobody has addressed the diversity visa lottery. So much for that. What about addressing your constituents? What about the forgotten men? What about the guy that doesn't want a subsidy, doesn't want a handout, wants to purchase what he can with his own money, but doesn't want government using regulations, subsidies, market interventions, and distortions to ensure that he can't afford anything without a subsidy? What about that guy? What about the -the run-of-the-mill American citizen that just wants to have his family and be left alone and wants to be able to afford things with the natural order of things. Is it some sort of crime to care about that person? Does everything have to be a tailor-made constituency and often constituencies that we shouldn't either recognize as distinct or recognize at all, such as illegal aliens? And what's especially jarring is that it was the very illegal DACA amnesty that created much of the MS-13 crisis we have now, because a lot of that is from Central America. If you look at most of the cases, I'm reading just anecdotally with people being killed by illegal aliens, most of them actually aren't recently aren't Mexican nationals. They're more often from the Triangle in the northern uh, Central America, from Honduras, El Salvador, and uh, Guatemala. And most of those came over in the summer of 2014, and, and since then it's it's increasing again. As a result of the promise of an amnesty. So we need a fix. See, whenever you hear a fix, it means taking a blowtorch to the arson rather than water. It's a similar thing to the Obamacare fix. You're hearing this Alexander Murray. And by the way, Trump signed on to it. Trump says he'll he'll sign it. That's another thing that's really frustrating with this tax bill. I told you the Senate bill is better. It's not what I would have written. I have a long article analyzing it. Um but nonetheless it is a tax cut at least temporarily. I it's better than nothing. Um, many you know middle and middle upper income families, I think most of you, you know anyone earning from fifty thousand to two hundred thousand dollars, families earning that you know, you're, you're gonna get several thousand dollars, especially if you have children um, it's good. The problem is it's going to come at a cost because Republicans, conservatives, Freedom Caucus guys, they're going to feel gratitude, and then therefore they're going to sign off on this insurance bailout. Everything is about fixing the people who broke the system, bailing out the same foreign policy, military people that broke our foreign policy, broke the Middle East, bailing out the same insurance cartel that destroyed healthcare in America. And this isn't even conservative. This is not even about Obamacare. What about the consumer? Why is everything a matter of giving the hospital and insurance cartel a monopoly? And by the way, there are so many ways that the Medicaid expansion, the subsidies are. It's not just that they're expensive, creating dependency. They are hurting everyone else. All these programs, because there's no price transparency, the hospitals and insurers are pocketing them and to pad their price inflation. And they pass it on to the consumer. It also hurts delivery. Because it's the big hospitals that benefit from all of this. So it's created a giant sucking sound out of private practice. You have no private practice anymore. And, and it also incentivizes them to buy up the private practices so they can get more subsidies. That is what is so jarring. This is not even about how much you believe the federal government should be involved in helping the indigent. It's a matter of, if you're going to help them do what I propose, just give them the money to purchase their own stuff and don't have a federal program lining the pockets of the cartel, giving them a monopoly and hurting all consumers, both with pricing and quality of delivery and choices and competition. A program designed to help seniors or the poor should never give a private sector monopoly. In other words, what I'm saying is even if you support socialism... You shouldn't support venture socialism. This is the difference between food stamps and Medicaid. Food stamps at least, all right, if you want to, here's the money, go take it and buy food. It won't distort the food market. It doesn't hurt other people. Now, yeah, there's too much dependency, but that's a conservative argument. and I don't believe it should be done a, certainly at a federal level. Fine. And certainly if we had a free market economy and we, you know, with – Better charity, And by the way, there's a lot of good ideas with charity care that government boxes out with their monopoly. We would take care of this with, with the private sector. And the rest, the locals and state governments would mop up. But fine, you want to do it at a fair level, fine. But, but what about us? Is it always under the guise, of course, of helping the poor, giving the cartels a monopoly and then hurting everyone else? they're literally giving healthcare of America in the hands of a few insurers and a few hospital conglomerates to just fleece the rest of us so so here's the deal if you want to earn your money with ingenuity, entrepreneurship, the fruits of your labor that's evil we're going to take it away But if government hands you a monopoly, that's great, and we have to keep bailing it out, and how dare you not do more because it helps the poor, even though it hurts everyone ultimately. What about the forgotten men, the forgotten stories, the forgotten victims of illegal immigration, the victims of socialism, the victims of the ethanol mandate? It, it, it It just really hoses me. And why is the PLO entitled to our funding? You, you know, I'm going to read to you. This is from Breitbart here. Uh, some of you might have not, not seen this. So I wrote an article about how we're recognizing the PLO, but it, it's even worse. We're now, we're now doing the full Obama, even under the Trump administration, of accepting Hamas. So I'm, I'm reading – here's an article, Adele Nazarian from from Breitbart. This was uh, published November 20th. A group of Republican and Democrat lawmakers has joined forces to pen a letter to United States ambassador to, to the UN, Nikki Haley, asking her to clarify what appears to be a major di- diversion from U.S. policy when she implied that there is a distinction between, quote, political and military leaders of the Hamas terrorist organization. We are writing with deep concern over U.S. policy toward Hamas and your recent statements regarding Qatar-based support for Hamas. The bipartisan group of legislators wrote to Haley asking her to clarify her statement to the House Foreign Affairs Committee last week. Of course, one of the leaders of the letter was Ron DeSantis, a real stud, great guy. Um, On June 28th, Haley told the House Foreign Affairs Committee that crisis between Qatar and its fellow Gulf nations was an ideal opportunity to tell Qatar that it must quit funding Hamas quit doing these things in Gaza that they are doing. However, last week, Haley told the same committee, while the Qatari government does not fund Hamas, it does allow Hamas political representatives to be based in Qatar, which Qatar believes limits Iran's influence and pressure over Hamas. Senior Qatari officials have stated that Hamas' presence in Qatar does not imply support for the group, and added that Qatar has committed to take action, yada yada. Um, What's very concerning here is because what is the difference between the political leaders and the military leaders of Hamas? Do you know what the political arm of Hamas is? That literally is the Muslim Brotherhood, right? Because the Hamas is the, is the, quote, Palestinian branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. I think you guys know where this is coming from. You know, and, and this is Nikki Haley who's kind of better on this issue. So whether it's from her own or she's just taking orders you – know, I know there's breaking news, obviously, with Tillerson likely being removed and probably being replaced by Pompeo. But I, I, nothing's going to change. The, 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 the wheels are, are churning. The State Department's cesspool, Trump and the people around them just don't have enough will or knowledge to actually implement their rhetoric and reign in these agencies. We see it every day. We've spoken about this a lot. And we're left high and dry. You know, I wish I had better news for you this week, but it's just its just really, really tough. Because common sense and concern about the forgotten man is not allowed. Just really, really frustrating. Anyway, we're just about out of time here, and I don't even have enough time to get to the tax plan. But I'm going to hopefully link, if we, if we can get up in time, to my analysis of it. It's very complicated. A lot of people are making Lying arguments. And again, I'm not defenders of the Senate GOP. And there's a lot of other broader problems with just the politics around the bill, the way they're messaging it, other things they're going to do, the trap that we're going to fall into. But the actual bill to say it raises taxes is not true. And you know how passionate I was that in believing the House bill actually did raise taxes on a lot of people. The Senate bill, the cuts are deep enough. That you know, a- anyone except if you get you know, look if if you earn fifty to sixty to seventy thousand dollars a year, but you take itemized deductions like someone earning two three hundred thousand dollars a year, meaning you have massive mortgage interest deduction, massive state and local taxes, massive charitable giving, yeah, I mean, but that's an anomaly. I mean, any flattening of the code, you're going to have people that benefit tremendously under the status quo. Uh, my concern with the House bill is it wasn't just anomalies. It was a good percentage of people would get roped into a tax increase. So I think this is fair. Now, look, under my – what I would do, it would be even a deeper cut because we'd actually cut spending so you could not worry about the revenue. I wouldn't have the chain CPI. I would make it more permanent, um, and I'd make the rate cuts even deeper. So you know, even those fewer anomalies maybe wouldn't get roped in. But again, I'm going to debunk about four or five myths about the tax bill on my uh, – my piece, but anyway, this is the thing. This is my hope, and like I said, I hope we're going to be expanding. I hope to announce good news on this show very soon. Um, but we, we we need we need a a broader, deeper voice to cut through the groupthink and and the just lack of common sense that's been fostered by this incessant media cycle that just numbs the mind of human beings. With that gotta run. Have a great weekend. God bless y'all. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.